0: Hey there, Subscription Box Basics fam, Julie here, and I've got some super exciting news for you. My favorite event of the year is happening in less than two months. For those of you who don't know, it's called Sub Summit, and it's the conference for sub box businesses. Renee and I are gonna be there, and you could potentially join us for free. You can learn more at subsummit.com, but don't wait too long because ticket prices are going up soon. Come on, let's make some memories together at Sub Summit. So, you want to launch a subscription box and don't know where to start? Girl, you are in the right place. I'm Julie Ball, a subscription box coach, and your host here at Subscription Box Basics, a podcast for new and aspiring subscription box entrepreneurs that want to avoid overwhelm. So grab a coffee, some pen and paper, and let's have some fun. Hey, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Subscription Box Basics. I'm your host, Julie Ball, and today I'm chatting with one of my product vendors, Jake Panavis from Procurement. Jake is co-founder of Pro- Procurement Inc., which is a business that helps curate and source products for subscription boxes like you and me, as well as other e-commerce brands. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Julie. I appreciate it. Excited to be here.
0: Good, because a lot of people ask me a lot of questions about product sourcing. So rather than me give the information, I'd rather it come from someone like you who is an expert in it. So a lot of people will be meeting you for the first time. So why don't we start with a little introduction, a little background about you, Jake?
1: Sure. So you you hit the you hit the nail on the head there. With uh, yeah, I am the co-founder of Procurement Inc., which uh, we do help curate and source products for various subscription boxes and e-commerce brands. Uh, you know, our whole mantra is that you know we believe in in long-term partnerships, and our goal really in all of this is to save, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and and curators both time and money on curation. So uh, on a discretionary basis as well, we also look to hedge out certain risks that may impact the value of your business. So mm-hmm. not only saving time, saving money, but also uh, that, um, you know, directly helps increase the value of your business as well. Um, and so we have a really we have a vast list of established manufacturing contacts across the globe um, through which we've achieved pretty significant economies of scale over the four or five, three or four years, I guess, that we've been, uh, been doing this for, um, which allows for really favorable pricing for our clients and the partners that we work with.
0: So you make it easy for us? You are more or less the middleman, so we don't have to do the back and forth and back and forth, and you help us navigate through some of those risks of you don't know what you don't know. Like as a, as a subscription box business owner, there's a lot of things that I don't know about product sourcing, especially when it comes to custom stuff, and so that's why I lean on on guys like you. So how did you get into this business, Jake?
1: So we started a. Cl- I used to work in finance years ago, uh, okay. and I started a clothing line with um, a colleague of mine who was working at uh, at the in, in finance with me, and we kind of morphed into uh, subscription boxes. You know, we got that clothing line into a subscription box, and we realized some of the pain points that uh, subscription box owners were really facing, which on product curation, which is that they were generally paying too much, mm-hmm. they were you know, you know, having a lot of risk put to them, and and there wasn't a lot of control or, or power into into the into the box itself it was more for the brand so we wanted to switch that dynamic around a little bit and really uh, you know give full creative control to uh, the brand or pardon me the boxes and really help them streamline that process as best we can and, and uh, you know also as, as I mentioned before save time and save money on that whole process mm-hmm. as well so um, but yeah that's kind of how we got into that kind of weird you know segue into into subscription box world but we've been in it for a few years now we love it like it's a very interesting industry yeah um so
0: and i know a lot of my um uh, several of my colleagues use you guys as well in different sourcing ways for their business whether they need um you know small items or whether they need hero items and so i think that's one of our challenges as subscription box business owners is finding that good mix of items and it just takes a long time when we're doing it ourselves. That's, that's one of the things I love to do because it's fun, but it takes up a huge chunk of time. Okay, so let's dive into how this actually works because a lot of people are going to be tempted to just go on a website or an online portal to buy goods directly from China. So Jake, in your experience, what are some of the pitfalls in doing this? I know that I have a few stories of my own, but from, from your perspective, what are some of the pitfalls? of buying online from China?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think there's, there's quite a few pitfalls. So, I mean, it's very tempting to go onto one of those portals and, you know, you see some great pricing
0: mm-hmm. and you
1: say, oh, wow, this looks great, you know, minimum order quantity, 100 units, wow, look at Done. that, it's unbelievable, yeah. right? And Gold Star Supplier or any of these kind of, uh, you know, kind of verifications that they may have, which mm-hmm. um, is a whole other story. But really, there's a lot of pitfalls. So one is when you go into a relationship with a new supplier, or you want to buy a one-off item from something and you don't have an established relationship with them, there's quality control issues. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're looking at, you got to really know what their quality control uh, system is. Do they have one in place? Where do they check? uh, You know, do they check their raw material suppliers? Do they just do a, if it's an assembly plant, do they just do the quality control in the assembly plant? So what level of quality control and if they even have quality control in general. Um, And then also looking at, if you want to bring out, bring in an outside, um, uh, you know, QC firm to do your own, your own audit or your own check. Um, Another big one as well, which is really on uh, the onus is on the importer, which is the the regulation knowledge and labeling. So this is a huge one. Uh, I can give some specific examples, but basically uh, when you're importing a product into the United United States or Canada or Europe or wherever you're importing to uh, there's regulate like regulations required for specific products. Um, There's labeling requirements. You know, the Textile Labeling Act, for instance, it, it requires you to label, um, you know, the contents of of uh, textiles, you know, what the fiber contents are, where okay. are they manufactured, the country of origin. Um, different products have different regulations, like sunglasses, for instance, is regulated by the FDA. If you're importing into the U.S. So you got to make sure that you, you're adhering to the, their guidelines and policies, which can be a little bit strenuous. So uh, that's a lot of the things that are on you as the importer, not necessarily the manufacturer. They might not be you know, upfront with everything on that because they're trying to get the order and it's on you to, to be able to import it and understand that. Wow. Um, uh, They also, I'll add as well. They also have some regulations that they need to adhere to in order to export to the U S. So they need to be for sunglasses, for example, that FDA product, they need to be uh, registered with the FDA. So, you know, Another one uh, is how much of their supply chain are they aware of? You know, like I said before, are they? Do they have full control over their raw materials? Do they have control over, uh, you know, their, their labor force, or is it kind of, you know, what does that look like? Their their assembly plants, like where where are they actually manufacturing? Are they a trading company? Are they a factory? So a lot of things to, to take into consideration there as well. Another one would be uh, declaring the values on import. You know, mm-hmm. if you're shipping GDP. Uh, And and explain what that means. So that's duties, delivery paid, meaning that the shipper in China will ship you the goods Mm -hmm. and they're responsible for everything getting into your door. Well, Mm -hmm. there can be a bit of a conflict there because they're trying to get it as cheap as they can to you and you want to get the product. So there may be some uncompliant imports that are, um, that are happening without you knowing. And it could be, uh, you know, you might get the product and have no problem. Uh, However, you know product can get held up in customs and it can get held up for an in indefinite period of time uh you know they might want to check to see if it really did cost the amount that the shipper is claiming it costed they may ship it back to china they may destroy the goods there's a lot of things they can do if they if they want you know if they really want to dive deep and it's not really a risk specifically in the subscription box industry that you want to take on because of the tight timelines that um that are often accompanied with uh, subscription boxes so Just another one just to kind of take into consideration, which if you go the other route, you're going to have to find a logistics company, you're going to have to do the, you know, a customs broker, you're going to have to do all this on your own, which can be cumbersome as well. Um, And and, and it's sometimes quite costly. Um, So wait,
0: before you go on with that, that would be in the case where it gets to the United States, but then it's your job then to get it to your warehouse, Right. Or to your yeah. your office. Um, so for people who haven't done this in the past, there's, there's a couple different ways to do this, right? So DDP is what you explained previously. And correct. that and that means that they're going to get it directly to where you need it, right? Your your office or your warehouse or whatever, correct? And
1: they're going to pay – and yeah, you'll pay a fixed cost for everything and they'll get it to you for that price,
0: Okay, ideally. Okay. And then what is it called when they just get it to the United States and then it's your job to pick it up or to – contact a logistics team to get it to where you need it to be.
1: Often they do one where it's uh, they do FOB, FOB, like Shenzhen or Shanghai, uh, yeah. where they'll get it to the port and they'll say, okay, these are yours now. You yeah. ship them to the U.S. and deal with everything else yourself. So then you've got to get some either ship it by air or ship it by sea mm-hmm. and then do the customs clearance and all that. So that's generally your responsibility. And that's usually the most common way to do shipments. The other way is a little bit, it's for less experienced buyers, in my opinion, I mean, that's just mm-hmm. my opinion. Uh, there sure. might be other reasons as well, but um, the GDP approach is a little bit more, uh, um, you know, I guess risky in some, in some ways uh, okay. uh, doing it with uh, out of China. So, um, you know, the other big thing as well is, um, you know... What else is my partner doing for me? So, if you've got a manufacturing partner overseas, or maybe one in the states, you know what else are they doing for for you? You know, are they buying back units? Are they providing options on how to lower costs? You know, changing products slightly to lower uh, lower or to get better tariff rates. Um, you know, if you change a specific, you know, fiber in a in a textile, let's say, you might get a better better tariff rate than you would otherwise. Um, just as an example, so things like that. Um, so just, you know, there's a few pitfalls that people kind of fall into when you go into one of those, one of those portals and you, you you know, you see all these products, it it can be quite overwhelming and exciting. And, uh, you know, really until you get into it, you can see some of the the issues and and some of the the headaches that, that accompany that. So,
0: yeah. And they make it really easy because it is just like a website where you're browsing through products and you're like, Oh, click buy. And you know, everyone could probably hear it in my voice that I'm learning from what you're saying too. Um, because I didn't, you don't know what you don't know. So a lot of times we're not going to know about all those regulations that need to be, you know, taken into consideration. For me, when when I was looking at stuff like that, I was thinking of quality, you know, is this going to be um, a cheap product? Is this going to be a high quality product? I look at packaging. Does the packaging, is it going to show up the way it's shown in this picture? Um, Is there a lot of um, language on there that's in another language but we only ship to the United States so we would want things that are obviously packaged with English on them um, we you know thing other cosmetic things are what I was looking at but from the sounds of it it's much deeper than that as far as these pitfalls um, and making sure that you're not kind of going to get yourself in some trouble
1: yeah exactly yeah and there, there's there's tons of them right I mean I'm not trying to scare people off from doing it so it's right. just you want to be really careful in 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 going with that approach and, um, you know, there's just a lot, a lot of things to consider when you're, when yeah. you're going that ro- down that road. So
0: so do your homework. Um, okay, so let's talk about planning out the creation of products for your box. What are some best practices for that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, being in this business for a few years, working with a lot of different subscription boxes, we've seen everything, every time frame you can imagine. So uh, from being in their current month, like if they're in, you know, they're shipping out for the month of June, let's say, and it's June 1st, they may still have a product hole they need to fill um, so, and up to things where they're two, you know, they're planned two years out in advance. So, you know, I think planning is really important when it comes to curation and planning six to twelve months out as as kind of a baseline from from our experience being a best practice allows for three things. It really allows for reduced risk. So, you know, you have a lot more options if something which is out of your control um goes wrong for instance customs so they can take us you know generally takes a week or two or something but it can take longer for no reason you could have a completely compliant shipment and they just want to hold it for whatever reason and then they'll release it but if you have plan out further in advance and, and get ahead of schedule you can uh, you can kind of budget in some more time for that to, to lower the risk on that front the other one is is cost generally speaking if you're planning out further in advance um you uh, you, you can take more affordable shipping methods uh that or more affordable shipping options that are available to you, you know, um, sea versus air or whatever. So there's different things like that as well. And then uh, samples and iterations, which I think is really important for a lot of curators, you know, uh, our best practice is five months out, you get a first sample. So Mm -hmm. five months before you need the product, you get that first sample. And then you say, Hey, I want to change this, this, and this, it looks good rather than a couple of things that we want to change. Maybe it's a color or something. Mm -hmm. And then at four months before you need it, we can give you another sample. So now you've gotten two iterations. You're probably pretty good and pretty comfortable with what it's going to look like. And now three, three and a half months out, we're starting to manufacture the product and it should arrive to you about two weeks before you need it. That's the ideal scenario that we kind of implement with, with most of our box partners. Uh, and it's just a guideline. I mean, it can change based on different things, but it's just kind of a, a baseline what you should kind of be looking at um, and, and what we like to do just to lower risk, lower costs and keep things as, uh, as streamlined as possible. Um, but yeah, that's kind of some of the the best practices on on scheduling and curation that i that I see across a lot of boxes so
0: I think that's really, really good advice, and a lot of our listeners are newer to the subscription box industry, and so they're going to be planning out maybe one or two boxes out at a time, and as you continue to grow and as you continue to scale your numbers, you will start to naturally look further out so that you can take advantage of things like this where you can custom curate. Um, products. You can get better deals on things. And I remember a conversation, Jake, that you and I had that was really, really eye-opening for me. And I don't know why I couldn't think of this on my own, but sometimes someone just has to tell you something. When you look at the entire year, just say I'm looking at 2020 and you know this is pre-2020 and I know that I'm going to have certain categories. So in Sparkle, Hustle, Grow, I know I always need a book. I know I want a tech gadget I want a piece of stationery and I want an office supply. And you said, well, when you look at the mu- when you look at the year, that means you need 12 books, 12 tech items, 12 pieces of stationery and 12 office supplies. So that is one really easy way to look at it. And um, that's a really good way to plan things out. And I-, I use a lot of different ways to plan out my boxes, including sticky notes, including samples of things that you send me and we mock them up in, in boxes but I would encourage our listeners to think about what those categories are before they start planning out for the six or 12 months. Figure out what categories you want to fulfill and know that you'll need six of those for the next six months and then start brainstorming all those ideas and start talking to someone like you that can bring those ideas to life.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's, that's really important. You can kind of, especially if it's um, you've got that that secret equation, so to speak, where you know exactly what you want to have in each box, like you were mentioning, right? The the one stationary item, et cetera. Uh, you know, you can really plan that out even easier doing it that way as opposed to where it changes every month. Like some boxes, right. they change every month and it can be a little bit more challenging, still doable and still a best practice, but it, it, it definitely is a lot easier in circumstances like yours where you have uh, kind of a preset box that you send out more or less where you can kind of right. have those categories and, and plan out, you know, exactly what you want to put in there, so...
0: Yeah. And then I have my open category, which could be filled in with very, you know, a variety of different things, whether that might be a snack or it might be a lifestyle item. So we, we do have that open category, but the four core categories looking at it like that has really helped me in my planning. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about margin builder products and why they're important.
1: Yeah. So margin builders are, uh, are products that, Uh, Have a high selling price and a low overall cost. Now, there's a few things that go into the overall cost. We kind of touched on this, but it's tariffs are one of them, Mm -hmm. uh, shipping costs, and the manufacturing price. Now, all these things change depending on the product. Obviously, manufacturing prices is is the obvious one, but tariff rates can range anywhere from zero to, you know, I don't know what the highest is, but, you know, we've seen around 40%, even plus on that. So, and that can be pretty detrimental to to you calculating what you think might be the cost of a product. Um, we're just looking at that without taking that into consideration. And then the shipping costs as well. You know, how big is the item if you're going by sea? How heavy is it? And how big is it if you're going by air? You know, mm-hmm. things that you need to consider. So margin builders are, are generally things that have low overall costs. Um, anything that's, you know, has low tariffs and that's light and small is usually a safe bet. So, mm-hmm. you know, makeup is a good one. I was just uh, going to
0: ask you if you had any examples of, of these kind of margin builders.
1: Yeah. So makeup is a really good one. Uh, Small electronic, uh, electronic accessories. So earphones, charging cables, things like that. Uh, Smaller textiles. So bees, socks, headbands, um, you know, jewelry is a big one. So that's a huge margin builder for both male and female. Uh, Watches is just another example. So there's a few of them out there that we that we kind of work with boxes and kind of steer them in in certain directions if it kind of makes sense. Because you know, if they're looking for that wow item, well, it's better to always pick it, obviously, to pick a wow item that has uh, that's a margin builder if you can, because it's yeah. just going to be also, you know, pretty cost effective for you to put in there um, and also still have that wow factor. So,
0: no, that's really good advice. Um, let's talk about doing this on your own versus using a manufacturing partner like you guys. What, what are some of the advantages to using a company such as Procurement in, you know, building out your 6 to 12 months of boxes? And, you know, I think you're probably going to say, um, you know, saving on costs and doing a lot of the, the legwork that we just aren't kind of trained to do.
1: Right. So, you know, we handle everything on the back end uh, side of the business while still giving, uh, you know, curators or box owners or e-commerce entrepreneurs, uh, full creative input. So you'll find that with our clients, not much has changed from a curation side of things, except they have saved a lot more time. Yeah. Uh, just cause they're not going through a lot of the different vendors that they may previously have gone through or, you know, going back and forth with people, uh, they've, they've saved quite a bit of cost and lowered, lowered risk, which is really important as mm-hmm. well. Um, substantially on their business, which increases the value. So kind of a, a threefold, uh, benefit there, but uh, you know, this, this only leads to really less headaches, but it also increases the value of the business, as I mentioned. And uh, we often get asked, you know, this is a question that we get asked a lot as well. How do you guys make money? You know, How does procurement make money? I get that. I'm right. probably 60, 70% of my calls that I do with new boxes <laughs> or new, new entrepreneurs or or whatever. Yeah. And, and the That's relationship. <laughs> that, yeah. And it's a, it's a great question. And the relationships that we like to get into with our box partners are win-win, you know, where where we can leverage our our vast economies of scale. Like Mm we built out a really good network of suppliers overseas across many different categories, Um, save the box money and and still put a small margin on there for us. So it's, we take care of all that back end. We got better pricing than you may, may have gotten if you Mm -hmm. went direct yourself and uh, it it still makes sense for us as well. So, and we ensure that the, the imports are compliant, that you have a sustainable business model and that the value of your business is increasing, uh, every day. That's, that's kind of our, our goal on, on that front. Um, and you know, the big one is we, we will ensure that your, imp- your imports are compliant, uh, which again is super important here. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of non-compliant imports. Uh, and I'll admit that some of these stories, um, where the goods have arrived with no problem. like, they, you know, they're uncompliant, but they still arrived. Um, right. but it could lead to issues later down the road. Um, you know, and you don't want things to get sent back or get held up because of, of, you know, regulations or, or just not looking at something, um, you know, maybe a little bit closer than, than, than you you should have. So, um, so yeah.
0: So a couple things that I really love about working with you guys is, um, if I see something a lot of times, you know, I'll be out at a store and I see an item that I'm like, Oh, that would be a great item for my box. I'll snap a picture of it, share that picture with you. And then we'll talk about what that item is. And you're like, yeah, we can make that. (laughs) And immediately you move into action, um, trying to find a manufacturer, getting quotes, um, mock-ups. And it's just, it just seems like a very seamless process for someone like me. And the other thing that I really can appreciate, and this this goes along with how you were saying, how do you make, how does procurement make money? Um, Because the cost of your services is built into the product. I think of it as part of the cost of the product, whereas I've worked with some other people in really good, good business experiences, but where they're sourcing for us as far as finding brands that align with us, like already existing brands. And those are, you know, I'm either paying them an hourly rate or a flat fee for getting a a certain amount of product. Um, and for for me, looking at the cost of each box and the items in each box, it's easier for me to get my head around it when it's already built into the the cost of the product. If that makes sense to you,
1: yep, hundred percent.
0: Yeah, because I, yeah. I want to say I have X amount. This is my budget for the box, and I can't go over that. And when it's already built into the cost of the product, for for whatever reason, it's just easier for me to get my head around than if I have you know this flat fee or this other percent that I'm paying somebody else. So um, that's another thing that. I like working with you guys. We've we've created several products at this point. We've got several in the works. And um, what if if someone listening is like, okay, this is exactly who I need. This is the exactly what I'm looking for. What are some ways that they can get in touch with you or learn more about your business?
1: Yeah. So you you can send me an email uh, at uh, jakeatyourprocurement.com, uh, and you know you, we really look at. Um, you know, most things, anything over, you know, a couple hundred units, so to speak.
0: That's great. So,
1: um, you know, at that level, we can kind of help out. Usually if it's under that, it can be a little bit difficult. But uh, anything over a couple hundred units, we can usually take on. And we do that anywhere up to, you know, 100,000 or 200,000 units we've done. So it really depends on 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 the on what it is that you're looking for. But, you know, send us an email be like, hey, you know, I want to uh, learn more about it. Or, or see so how you can help me specifically with some of these ideas or products that we have and uh you know that we can hop on a call or go back and forth in email and kind of get uh get some more information about your business and then see what types of products you want to source and then get you some samples and quotes and and you know get the whole kind of ball rolling so to
0: speak so love it you guys make it so easy um one more question i didn't prepare you for this one but what's one of your favorite things about working in the subscription box industry
1: i like seeing the various types of boxes like we work with a lot of different types of boxes so you know you name it, we probably work with it. Yeah, that's uh, a box that, for that everything. Category. Exactly. So, you know, you see a lot of interesting products, you know, some of which um, you really, really want. You're like, wow, I've never even seen this before and I want one so bad. You know, there's right. stuff that we're working on right now that's like, wow, I I want one of these when they're done. I like I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, order one for myself or whatever. So that's uh, you know, you see a lot of cool stuff out there which is which is kind of fun to to kind of wrap your head around in in like I said, a lot of different categories. So
0: Awesome. So To wrap it up, Jake, I just wanted to thank you so much for your time today. This is a big conversation for a lot of people because they just don't know what they don't know. They don't know the industry. They don't know how to to even start. So I hope this conversation really helps guide the listeners about that big question of creating custom products. And I have a feeling that there's going to be quite a few people looking you guys up Listeners, if you are loving these interviews and want more of them, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave me a review. And that really helps get that content out in front of more people. And as always, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, Jake.
1: Thanks so much.